2: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast.
0: Well, there, has got the of it, and he looks to get the
1: better
2: This is Mean Lee from ArsenalVision.co.uk. She wore a yellow ribbon in the merry month of May. When I asked why she wore a ribbon. So this for the Arsenal fans, we're going to Wembley. Again, we've beaten Reading to um, play in the FA Cup final against Aston Villa. with was a slight shock today. Um, but going back to the Arsenal match, yeah, it was a, a game I didn't expect. And that's, that's my own fault. I mean, I'm really naive and been here before. And I'm sure everyone would have been screaming at me pre-match when I was um, a little confident of getting through to the final. The fact that we won eight games in a row in the Premier League... The fact that were languishing in... What, where were they? Mid-table. Haven't won for five games. Come on. It was a walk in the park. Surely, this time. I know they say one-off games and stuff, but this isn't going to be a tight game. We're going we're gonna to destroy them. They can't cope with us. But, I don't know what earth and they had for breakfast that morning, but they flew out the traps like nobody's business. And um, we couldn't settle for a little while. And the game was a much tighter game than um, I thought it would be. But before anything else, I've got to say, I've got to give plenty of credit to Reading for their performance because I'm sure I know for a fact that a lot of the fans didn't expect anything like that before the kick-off. Reading around the blogs and forums for the Reading, Reading sites, more often than not, they were expecting to get, get beaten good and proper. And it didn't turn out that way, did it? But we rode our luck in patches. After all said and done, we were the better team on the day. We did create the, the better chances. And um, we we managed to get the win, even though the winning goal by Alexis was um, a tad fortunate, to say the least. Did feel a little bit, a little bit sorry for the goalkeeper. Not that sorry, really, because that's life, isn't it? Really, um, if it was our goalkeeper in a cup final against, say, Birmingham, I don't, I don't, I don't think there would have people would be too upset about it. So yes, Aston Villa um, overcame Liverpool with a. a really good performance I thought today you know credit where credit is due Tim Shield is making them into, into a really really good decent decent little side he's got there really confident confident on the ball and they were creating chances and they were taking the game to Liverpool they weren't just sitting back and trying to hit on the break but they were actually taking the game to Liverpool and they deserved the win I thought yeah, maybe I'm biased I probably am but yeah Aston Villa in the final and it is by no means a foregone conclusion the whole city last season Wigan last season, Reading this season tells you all all you need to know about the final. I'm not carrying any chickens or any eggs hatching and things like that. So yeah, it's going to be a fifty-fifty. Who turns up on on the day with a performance good enough to win will win. Yeah, we shall see what happens then. But anyway, it's just James and Paul. To so that I say just they're not just they're fantastic voices on the podcast. And, um, but there's no Elliot today, he couldn't make it, so it's just a twosome. I'm going to let them talk about the game, and um, and back after the next game, which is Chelsea at the Emirates. Yeah, it should be interesting, but it doesn't really matter anymore, we just have to beat them for the sake of beating them. Yeah, enjoy the podcast, back again soon.
3: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision podcast, in the wake of our victorious victory, over Reading in the FA Cup semi-final. This is Poznan in my pants, standing in for Elliot, who's decided to go on a two- or three-day bender this week. Uh, joining me today is uh, Gooner fanatic 49 James Seago, as always, ever-present in our midfield. Hello. Welcome, James. How are you doing?
1: I'm very well. How are you?
3: I'm doing great.
1: I'm just so, sort of catching the last of the uh, Floridian rays before heading back to the up.
3: Yeah, you're so in the, the States the, this week, aren't you?
1: I am indeed stateside. I'm on the other side of the pond. Yes,
3: yeah, so very disorienting, but uh, welcome to our humble abode.
1: Yes, thank you. And
3: that's, ju- that's just one of our 50 states.
1: How remarkable. I must, Isn't uh, it? I must explore further in the nift. You must. Yes. Watch I- out for the alligators. Yes, indeed.
3: Right. So, we've got some football to talk about. That's so, let me give you a little historical context, something we all know. Apparently, that, this will be our 40th appearance uh, for the North London club, Arsenal, in the Wembley final, making us we'll 19 FA Cup finals, winning 11 of them so far. Um, if we win the final, that'll be our 12th victory, and Arsenal and Arsene Wenger himself will have got six of them. So, pretty big historic ground we're heading into here. So, um, what was your general feeling on, on the game yesterday? Maybe we'll, we've got plenty to work through. Um, there was a lot of guessing in terms of lineup beforehand, as there always is. Let's talk a little bit about the lineup. Um, what were the big, How did you feel about this lineup? How did it match against your thoughts? What were your biggest surprises?
1: Well, there was a lot of furore just before kickoff, wasn't there, regarding the line-up? Um, yeah. The obvious change was Aspina to Chesney. We all know Chesney's the cup-keeper. Whether that remains for the final is yet to be seen. Um, but there was certainly no surprise from any section of the fans in that regard. Um, the major issue really lay with the alteration to the two full-backs. So we had Debussy, a player that's been out for a significant period of time. And although has been deemed somewhat fit, aka has been in first full first team training for a few weeks now. I don't think he's got much match practice under his belt, even sort of with regards to the under 21 setup. Um, so it was a pr- it was a bit of a surprise seeing him come in for Hector. Um, although I had mentioned, although not sort of on, on, on the Twitter sphere, so I have no proof of such, I, I did feel that the the fullbacks was was an area whereby Arson was most likely to bring in changes, mostly because those are the positions in in previous FA Cup fixtures that we've seen the most sort of change take place to, um, and also I think a lot of it was down to bringing Gibbs in, trying to bring Gibbs into um, the left back position ahead of Nacho, um, since you know let's not forget I know that Nacho has gained a lot of um, affection from the fans now, and he has certainly been the the stronger of the two players this season and is certainly the first choice. For long periods of this season there wasn't much to be made between the two of them and a lot of Nacho's progression, you know, outside of the improvements he's made since playing centre-back, um, a lot of it's come to also the game time he's been given. Um, and I think, you know, the benefits of having a large squad is to be able to um, have the option of bringing in someone like Kieran who I'm sure many fans at the beginning of the season would probably have attested with probably the slightly... Um, was the more likely of the two to actually cement his place in the first team. Um, So, you know, it's a sign of the strength of the squad, but unfortunately in a big game like this, um, not having played as consistently as Nacho sort of came to fruition throughout that match. Um, I'd say the 2 fullbacks certainly going into, certainly for the full 90, look to be the the two of the weaker players on the field. And, you know, probably... In addition to Danny, who came in for Giroud, again, and not a particularly surprising alteration. Again, you know we've got to look at the importance of keeping players fit, um, not overplaying certain individuals, but Danny had come in for the game against Old Trafford. Not, I don't think purely for sentimental reasons. I think, um, the you know, obviously, the, the slight amount of pace that he brings in, especially when we're playing Ramsey out on the right, to add more pace to the side was probably... Ian Arsene's um, thinking. Um, yeah. I mean, what did you think about that
3: line Yeah, I, I, I mean, on your point on the full-backs, the other surprising thing was that neither even Bellerin or Chambers was on the bench, if I remember correctly. Right.
1: No, that was, that Which, was actually the biggest surprise, for
3: sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, of the two full-backs, I thought, we'll get to the game itself, I thought Debushi was at least reasonable. Uh, I... You know, I thought Gibbs, really of the two of them, was really the surprisingly the slower starter. Um, it really took him a long time to find his groove in the game. Uh, if he ever really found it, we'll talk about that, that a little bit more. Um, but the fact that Debushi hadn't played for the under-21s and hadn't played in such a long time and both right backs weren't even on the bench, that surprised me. Um, to be honest, I did guess the back four, as You say there was a lot of debate, but it, it wasn't. You could have gone a few ways, but it wasn't too surprising. But no, no right fullback backup on, the, I guess, Gabrielle or somebody would have been it. But that surprised me. So, uh, well, your yeah, thoughts just, just quickly yeah.
1: on that as well. I mean, because this was a big talking point before the game, especially with regards to the fullbacks. And I think Arsenal's thinking for the most part was that he was really desperate to bring Gibbs in. Um, and, you know, we do have to look yeah. at it. I know it's an FA Cup semi-final, but we were playing Reading. So you would think from, you know, naturally we wouldn't be tested as much defensively as we would, um, you know, say against, you know, like the likes of, of, of the Liverpools or the Chelsea's, etc. or Premier League sides in general. Um, and as, as we've seen throughout the season, Arson likes to have that combination of one more marauding left-back with the pace that Kieran has um, and one more sort of defensive-minded in a Debussy, or you know, perhaps even, say, a Chambers. So, I, and yeah. in general, I think going into the C, you know I think Debussy still probably, when fully fit, is our best right-back, certainly our most experienced. Um, and maybe it's one of those things where, due to his injury, people have somewhat, you know, he's lost some of his luster, and um, maybe he's gone down slightly in, in the way in which deem, sorry, fans deem his qualities. But I do still think it's surprising, especially to know that you're going to have to play him for a full 120 minutes if it did go to extra time, which it did given the lack of match practice he's had.
3: Yeah. I mean, I can see, to your point, um, you know, maybe the two fullbacks that were perfect for playing Reading, a big physical team who are planning to put in crosses, you know, I'd make the point that maybe Dabushi is the right. Uh, player for right back, uh, all things being equal, and Monreal now with his ruggedness and having played centre back was probably the stronger left back, just from a defensive, you know, physical, aggressive, uh, high energy reading standpoint. So that's that's the one argument I can see from Monreal, But I wasn't surprised with the back four. Um, when we look at the the rest of the lineup, I guess the two biggest discussion points I expected some kind of a surprise it turned out to be Welbeck at centre forward I was hopeful of Theo but I knew that was a long shot and then not maybe astonishing but certainly significant Ramsey starting from the right what were your thoughts on that before the match and then let's get into the game itself what were your thoughts before the match and then how do you think those positions played out
1: Um, again I wasn't that surprised before the match it's the formation that we've used um, these last couple of games, it was particularly successful against Liverpool, um, where we played a, an extremely impressive pressing game, uh, which mm. Ramsey certainly contributed to. Um, I think, you know, obviously, in Wenger's thinking is that he wants to players his, bring his best players into the um, into the starting eleven and. and with Casola being fit and also playing the way he is, of course, and well, from being the quality that he possesses, um, Ramsey sort of having to be shunted out to the right in order to get into the starting lineup at the moment. Um, I think obviously long term, you, you were definitely going to see Ramsey playing more centrally. Whether that in a game like against Reading, where we really um, and actually quite importantly had a, a right back in the ilk of Debussy who doesn't get forward and doesn't display the kind of width that's, that someone like a Bellerin does. He doesn't really give Ramsey the opportunity to come infield as much as he'd like. Um,
3: and, and certainly not at the moment when he's not match fit and game fit. I mean, Debushi can get forward and he can whip in crosses, but it was never likely he was going to be able to do that for 90 minutes. And when you think we had no right-back full-backs and that this could go to a tw- 120 minutes, we were really asking a lot of Debushi and Ramsey on the right wing with, as you're, you're talking, Ramsey swinging into the centre pretty often. Um, so Depushi having to cover quite a lot of ground and then the thoughts of him being an attacking fullback, it was a big ask.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, but then again, I think arsen probably gets a little too much criticism with regards to that selection, you know, even against Burnley I think people look towards that Ramsey choice as being a reason why we weren't able to create as much in the final third and um but ultimately I think these types of games where you know Reading were really up for this game. I think sometimes you can look at a lower um, league opposition like this and either they're kind of overawed by the um the occasion of an FA Cup semi final and they just and they do just genuinely get completely um, outplayed by a, by a bigger team, or they, or they come in sort of guns, guns out and really set up staunchly in the way that they did, make it really difficult, no matter the type of opposition you're playing. Um, yeah. And naturally, even you know, even if Theo Walker, a naturally very quick, wide player, who then obviously has the ability to cut in and make runs, I think even a player of his ilk throughout that game would have struggled, certainly in the, in the, first, in the full 90 minutes. Um, I just think it's a very difficult game for any of the attackers to really um, sort of imprint their mark upon a a match that kind of plays out in the way that it did. And, you know, frankly, one thing I know, so obviously Burnley Ramsey was the player that ended up getting the winning goal. um, And he was, I think he had that excellent opportunity where he kind of, you know, was through with the goalie and then, Hit the post when he, albeit from a tight angle, should have scored. But I think even for the so the first Sanchez goal, Ramsey had come out was actually out on the left, and we kind of overloaded the left-hand side of the play. So Gibbs, yeah. um, Ramsey picked up the ball on the left. Gibbs was then able to cut in slightly, um, and that kind of fashioned out that a slight um, bit of space for Alexis that Urzel managed to pick out superbly. Um, so you know a little bit of that interchanging, the relationships that those midfielders build, I think. It certainly played a part. Um, But I do think there's strong arguments to be made, no doubt, that a more natural wide player, especially given that Debushi was playing on the right, may have been more suited. But I think, come what may, whoever had played, um, the game wouldn't have shaped out all that differently because Reading really did make it very difficult for us.
3: Yeah, so let me make the Reading case a little bit because we've all heard the narrative, you know, lucky Arsenal, unlucky Reading, or alternatively, you know, this is a game Arsenal should have just blown through because they're uh, in great form top of the Premier League and Reading are struggling somewhere in the middle of the championship. I mean, uh, that's good and it's an interesting narrative and it's part of what makes the FA Cup great and wonderful and stuff. But the other side of our brain now that we're talking about it rationally, knows that this is an FA Cup semi-final. For Reading, this is their final. That they've been planning on this, that Steve Clark is planning to make his name off this, that their uh, approach to the game is more straightforward, simpler, more about energy, and lends itself to energy. This was always going to be a tough match. I mean, I went into it feeling really good and thinking Arsenal would would knock seven bags of shit out of Reading but you know as soon as the game starts you're reminded you know whether it's Hull or Wigan there's a reason these guys get to the semi-finals and finals and win the damn thing against the cities, the Chelsea's, the United's uh, and almost the Arsenal's Um, it's because they're under no illusions what they need to do in that that match they need to give it absolutely everything and for Arsenal it's a much more complex equation we've got to give it every, everything while being technical while flowing while managing the emotions of it while knowing it's a 90 minute and 120 minute game you know that it's a very very even competition in which Arsenal will have a little bit of the upper hand but luck is going to play play a huge role in it And, you know, that's how it sets up. Reading, what I don't know if it was the hoop shirts, but those Reading guys, they were fecking enormous. They were huge. (laughs) I mean, Hector was literally huge, and the other nine looked massive on that field, and their approach was, they weren't dirty, I don't think, but they were very, very physical and knocking us about all over the place. So this was a classic uh, encounter in the, the FA Cup. And did you have a chance to look at it a second time, by the way?
1: The full match? Unfortunately not. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. just, I just saw sort of the extended highlights.
3: Yeah, because um, yeah. I think what everything will, everybody will find, I did, is second time round with less nerves, we played, like like we always discover, we played pretty well. So did Reading, but we played pretty well. So, you know, that, that's the Reading case. So given you know, that's who we're playing against. How how did you feel we played in the entirety of the game? You've begun to talk a little bit, given the Ramsey dynamic, and, and to talk in Ramsey's... The, the, to make the Ramsey case for why he should have been on the field at the same time as Cazorla, uh, and I think you touched on it, he had two open chances in front of goal that were classic Ramsey, that had he put those away, there'd be absolutely no discussion about why he was on the field.
1: Absolutely. I mean... You know, again, just very briefly, uh, adding to your point is that it's it, as you say, is really no coincidence that we regularly see the likes of these Wiggins, you know, who, don't forget, beat Man City before taking us to penalties in the semi final and facing a Reading in the semis. Is that cup sets take place very frequently in the FA Cup, um, and that's because of the emotion involved and the amount of passion and the the kind of the way in which these lower teams are able to sort of up their game and. Um, the approach that they're able to take against the like the bigger side. So naturally, in a game like this, I think it was going to always be a game where there weren't going to be too many chances um, to be fashioned out. I, we we were never tr- te- we weren't tested all that much defensively. Reading didn't really have many fantastic opportunities. They had a couple on the, on the counter. There was one quite early on where <laughs> I wouldn't know who it was. Um, and a decent strike from distance was straight on the edge of the box with quite a lot of space, and he hit it straight at chesney and obviously the goal that they scored, but you know that aside, reading were always going to be living off scraps. I think Mackie was was extremely good for them, um, holding up the play and trying to start up any counters. but naturally, it was always going to be a game that panned out in a similar way to what it did unless say we'd managed to um, we managed to hold on to that, that one goal lead for a little bit longer and then later on in the game, Ready might have got a little bit more desperate to uh, score an equaliser, which might have opened it up um, ever, uh, ever so more for within, say, the final 10 minutes or so. Um, yeah. But that being said, I think you know, we had a lot of um, good playing, you know, a lot of technical players in the final third that were able to um, keep possession of the ball. Um, especially, it was extremely tight in that final third it was very difficult to find ways in behind the back line and it's really a reason why I'm I'm not a big proponent of having say a Theo Walcott having started ahead of Ramsey on the right maybe there's more arguments for Giroud to have started and Welbeck play out on the right um, but I just don't think there was really much space there was so few opportunities for us to get in behind that Reading back line we saw it happen with Sanchez but a lot of that was down to the way in which Ramsey as we as I've touched upon and you touched upon earlier was came into the left um and uh, create, fashioned out the smallness of space for Ozil to find that pinpoint pass in between a whole host of reading players I mean even that one time we were able to get through it was extremely congested in there um so I think for the most part we were you know we were good with the ball we 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 weren't I don't think we were particularly wasteful with the ball in the final third, but I think just in general, um, so, I mean, often what we saw was Santi would, would carry it from deep um, and Ozil was the main man in that final third that was always looking to make things happen. I mean, he was constantly pushing and probing, probing that Reading defence and he seemed to be the only player that was really ever going to be able to find those, those little pockets of spaces and, um, and, and truly get, in, get into that uh, Reading defence and, and look to make things happen.
3: Yeah, Ozil was great from the get-go, wasn't he? He he just stood out. He was the one guy who really knew what he was up to for 90 to 120 minutes. I mean, everybody wanted to do it, but he knew what he was doing, how to get it going. He was turning the screws. He was getting it going. It was always going to be frustrating, in, in particular that first 45 minutes as a game. Um, and when I, look at, when I looked at it a second time and went looking for who actually played poorly, really, you know, Gibbs had a few fluffed moments and got himself in trouble, but actually mostly managed to bail himself out of his screw-ups with a little help from his, his colleagues. Um, and to me, the only other disappointing player in the first half was maybe Welbeck just because he was a bit anonymous. I'm not sure it was particularly his Fault. I think he was always going to be frustrated against Redding, uh, the way they were set up, they were organized. But what always gets me about these, you know, the two banks of four you're facing, is that I never think we mix in enough really clever balls over the top to mix it up. You know, we move it one side, we move it the other side, we try and try and play it the, through the middle, and then we we do it again and again and again. And the, you know, let's get to the ozil assist to the sanchez control um but really what that was about was ozil deciding deciding that's enough of that crap i'm going to play a really clever ball over the top um which we really pretty much hadn't played for the first half that's kind of what broke that thing open
1: yeah i mean listen it's a it's a combination between the two that we can uh hope to see you know happen plenty of times in the future as well it's it was you know, delightful to see the two, the 77 million pound men uh, combine in such fashion. I think it's a lot of, it was a type of goal many Arsenal fans had envisaged when we saw that the two players would be playing together. Um, and it really is a truly exquisite ball. I mean, I do agree, you know, ideally you want to be playing a decent amount of those balls and uh, from an Ozil type player to find... Someone who's who's breaking who's, who's found that little pocket of space and breaking in into the box and behind that Reading back line. But it's such a difficult play overall to um, execute because you've got a you've got to time perf- a, the run perfect. A the Reading defense or the opposing defense has to make has to make an error. And in this case, I think it was the way in which we overloaded the left, like with Ramsey coming from the left, Gibbs coming into and then cutting inside, so the right back didn't really know how to track. Then that gave. Alexis the split second to um get in behind that man and for Ozil to spot the run immediately and then to execute the pass perfectly. Um, yeah,
3: Ozil, Ozil had a lot of time to make the perfect ball there didn't he? He did, but
1: that that still didn't take away from how difficult it was to actually nope. um yep. to actually implement. Um I know, you know, I'm not entirely sure I think maybe in those scenarios we don't often tend to see the ball being chipped over the back line when you have those two banks already set up and we're constantly passing it around the edge of the box going from right to left and constantly trying to fashion out the space but I think part of that is down to when you're when you're constantly moving the ball around you're waiting you're almost waiting for a for a defensive error to take place before you can actually take advantage of um of something of that ilk I did see us on the you know on certain I guess you would refer to them as counter-attacks where, where we'd have we'd have fewer attackers in their half and we were you know, over the turnover of possession, and Ramsey was often trying to sort of flick the ball over for Sanchez, um, who often had a couple of defenders um, around him that he'd have to beat. I just don't. I I understand what you're saying that you'd like we'd like to see more of that take place. I just don't know how viable that. I don't know how much you can really account for that going into an, a game because it's really just taking advantage of an error that take takes place um, it, it, in the defensive it, it, system that that you. Yeah,
3: it's it's really tough to do. There's a reason. There's a reason it's not done very often. But, you know, when you got 45 minutes of us having them on the rack against two banks of four, part of the reason, this is just my pet theory, is that not only are they in two banks of four, we get into a little bit of a rut in our thinking and, you know, just to shake it up. But that's just my, my pet peeve. When I see it done right, every now and then I think, man, that's that's the kind of thing that really stirs the pot and makes the other four, even if it doesn't come off, it makes the other 44 minutes of the game, gives them something to think about. It's kind of like the run in be- behind that sometimes Theo can pull off even against those two banks of four. That's why I don't mind seeing Theo in a game like that because he's going to continue to threaten on the right and give them trouble making those runs. But that's again, that's another one of my personal uh, foibles. Uh, where people say, oh, well, they're going to sit deep and it doesn't suit Theo. My personal feeling is Theo still gives them conniptions and can still turn them around and still create trouble for them because he makes those short, sharp runs in behind and they freaking hate it. Sure. So, but anyway, um, Sanchez and that close control, I mean, I I think what really made the goal, because when you look at it, it it actually goes through the keeper's legs and I didn't think it did at the time. Uh, you know, they talk about Arsenal's luck, but uh, and Reading's lack of luck. But everything that happens in a game has some portion of luck in it. The the what was brilliant for me about Sanchez was the quick close control, the way he chested it down, and the way he got his shot off so quickly. And you know, somebody was talking on on Twitter who's done some coaching who says to his his attackers always shoot near near the keeper, because if he misses, it's a goal. And there's a logic to that. You know, if your striker, as a as a lay person, you're thinking, well, I'll shoot it kind of to one post or the other post and kind of, you know, you want to get a, get a nice angle and a nice line into the goal. But I think nine times out of ten, a striker is thinking, I just want to get a good lick on it. I just want to get this low and hard and quick and hit it. To one side of the goalkeeper, or the other, but really close, and let the chips fall where they may. And I, when you look at this, his shot, Sanchez's shot against um, Federici here, it's between his legs. How much did Sanchez know about where it was really going? I don't think. I don't think they care. I think they hit it low and hard, and try and get it off quickly before the keeper has a chance to react.
1: Yeah, I think the low component to that is certainly um, probably the most important. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna keep it in and around the area of the goalie, then then keep it low rather than at a height that's easy for him to sort of parry away. Because as soon as you're forcing him to use his feet in that split split moment, it's a lot more difficult for the keeper to deal with. Um, yeah, I think the composure shown from Alexis there was a true sign of his quality because when that ball first came in and he took that first touch, I thought he was he was going to take a quick he was going to quickly um, let it off. But to have that um, peace of mind to um, to dummy it, shimmy it away from from the defender coming across, and then um, and then to finish, I wouldn't necessarily with a plum because I think there are many finishes where uh, Thierry Henry was fantastic at it. For example, where you yeah. you see that the goalie's legs are open and you specifically aim for between the two of them. Yeah. and I didn't get the sense just because of the way Sanchez connected with the ball. I think he just it was more of an instinctive finish. Um, yeah, get it off quickly. Yep. Get it off quick, and you know, I, I, as you said, I mean. You know, it's it's certainly once you once you've got the ball low as, as long as it's on target, especially from that kind of distance, um, then I think you let the uh, you let the probabilities play out, and on this yeah. occasion it did. And you know, I guess we'll talk about it soon, but in in a very different way. But in, it it sort of it was very much the same thing that took place for the second goal, but um, with yeah. regards to you know keeping it low and and in around the area of the goal
3: and level. playing the odds. And guess what? you know the the whole luck thing we'll get into it a little bit more but luck cuts both ways we had 23 shots on target or 23 shots sorry um we had plenty of other th- opportunities that were non-shots that were opportunities you know sometimes the mass of water building against the wall that's your luck you know statistically we were going to have the luck, and that's the way it played out. I think the one area where Reading had some bad luck, really, um, beyond the flubbed save, was they had a couple of uh, offsides called in the first half and throughout the game where it was pretty marginal, and maybe they were a little bit actually onside, and you know attackers should get the benefit of the doubt, but it was, it was certainly pretty, uh, pretty close. Um, on the other hand, they were pretty, they weren't dirty in mind, but they were pretty rough and physical. And the the ref, what did you think of the refing? The ref just let it go. I mean, some, t- some of his refereeing worked for us in the totality of that game. But in terms of the physicality, which was obviously going to impact on our style of play, our fluency, our control of the game, he basically let you know the chips fall where they may
1: yeah i agree i mean certainly when you're caught up in the nerves of the game sometimes it's difficult to really pay too close attention to the way in which the ref is um um, is refereeing the fixture Um, yeah but i did get the impression that um he was allowing a a pretty physical game to to play out which i think is fair enough in an you know in an fa Cup semi-final um i guess it shouldn't really matter necessarily the context of the match, but I don't think it was any, it, it was particularly outrageous refereeing. And I certainly think he was pretty consistent in the way in which yeah. he imposed himself. I think the biggest issue you could tend to have is if, if a referee lets a lot of physical challenges go, but then starts penalizing, you know, a certain team for very, for very similar challenges that take place um, later on in the, in, in the game, um, partly as a result, result maybe of like making up for an error or, or just, you know, Poor, poor refereeing as we tend to see so frequently. Um, yeah. But I think you, you're definitely right with regards to the offsides because naturally the way in which Reading set up, they were more likely to um, create chances on the counter thereby uh, with the with the high line that we were playing somewhat you know, there are going to be more sort of offsides or more offside potential calls to be made for, um, for a team that's playing in the way that Reading were. Um, so I yeah. think there were definitely a couple of, where, there was one in particular where Paul Pogrebniak or however you pronounce his name, was seemed pretty, <laughs> seemed pretty uh, clean through on goal. Um, and on the replays, it did look like he was, he was level. And yeah. I guess, as a Reading fan, I, I wonder what your thoughts are on this. But there was that moment, I think, was it in the second half, where um, the ball was, the, the cross came in from uh, Reading's left and it hit Debussy's arm. Um, you know his arm mm. was flailing out to the right. He didn't. He didn't bring it out to meet the ball, um, but his arm had remained away from his body, and the ball certainly it was certainly ball to hand. But it yeah. wasn't. You know his arm wasn't close to his. Uh, it wasn't right next to his body. So, you know I, there there are definitely certain referees that would would have given it, or potentially yeah. would have given it. Um, whether or not it, it was the wrong or right decision is is a tough one to call. But we were certainly lucky in the sense it was definitely one of those that they could they we've could seen have got them the given way.
3: yeah well and my quick thought on that was Debushi was actually running he was actually building up to a sprint now you can't run without moving your arms so it's not like he was flailing around in a standing position you know he was covering back he was tracking back but his on the other hand his arm was right out there when it was hit, so we've often seen those given, but it was a natural position for his arm, so but it certainly breathed the sigh of relief when he when it wasn't given because it was well away from his arm, in my, in my opinion, for good reason.
1: Right, apologies for the uh, the phone that's going off in the background. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, no, I, I no, I, I do agree with that, but uh, you know, obviously. In the moment of the game, it's tough for a referee to sort of like contextualize it in that manner, you know. So, you know, Dabushi's he's tracking back and he's in full sprint, so therefore, like naturally, his arms are going to be fading out slightly, and thus, you know, that's that's the reason why that that, that's the major reason it's led to the ball to hand. Um, but yeah, I I, I don't think it's clear cut. Um, I'm sure many Reading fans would would rightfully argue that it should have been a penalty, and I think we can quite comfortably make a, a case for it not being a penalty, but I think the key really is. When you look back on that game, it was definitely a decision that, um, as, we, as we say, could have been given as a penalty. So in, in, there is a, a certain amount of luck involved that, that the referee decided not to.
3: Yeah, I guess my feeling on it was I was quite frustrated by the refereeing to some degree. But I don't think in, in the where it cost us was our fluidity and allowing them to be very physical. Um, but I don't think there were any big decisions against us and there were some some reasonable-sized decisions that worked for us. So. And it did let the game flow, and it was a good semi-final. And so, you know, there's always something to say on refereeing. I didn't think it was it, – it was uh, – I, I don't, don't know that it was great refereeing, but in the end I was okay with it. I guess we got the result. So we got a first, goal, a first half goal with five minutes to go. Uh, we've been doing that quite a lot recently. It Probably has a lot to do with why we keep winning, even if they pegged us back in the second half. Um, you know, it's it's a 120 minutes in which we were either ahead or level for 120 20 minutes. You always stand a chance of winning at that point. So we go in at halftime. <clears throat> we come out, and the narrative is they come out f- fully energised and we were pretty flat. And when I watched it the second time, I think that was probably right, but maybe the difference wasn't as big as it always seems, seems it is, because that's normally said after they scored their goal. Um, so to talk through that goal, which I think happened around like the 55th minute, they took a throw-in on the right side of our defense, and it basically involved our two full-backs and the goalkeeper. Debushi was marking their guy who pulled back a... Uh, a very threatening cross into the path that their guy it was a McCleary uh, who puts it through our second fullback's legs and then Chesney either is unfortunate because of the deflection or could have done better. What are your thoughts on the goal?
1: Um, so I think well, it's, it's a funny one because it, it kind of involves all three changes um, yeah. at, at, each, at, separate, at separate points in that move. Um, and I think it also, I, I can't remember, I think it's Santi, but Debushi doesn't track his man properly for the throw or isn't close enough to his man. And then it comes, it, there's a, there's an overlap that takes place. And I think it's Santi that actually is the player. That, it may be Santi, maybe it's Cocklam, but I seem to remember it as Kazoola. Anyway, um, it's another big deal, <laughs> but at the very least, <laughs> that um, is unable to actually stop the cross from coming in. Uh, I think it's
3: Debushi. Is that th- I've, watched, oh, well, I've watched it a few t- a few times, and I could be wrong, but it's who goes to the byline with the guy who crosses it across.
1: Okay, well, we'll we, uh, I'll, I'm sure we'll let the uh, listeners, et cetera, clarify that point. But either way, yeah. um, you know, Debushi is somewhat at fault almost. You know, you'd know, think a player with Bellerin's pace, for example, that's the immediate kind of... Um, Comparison that can be made would probably have been able to intercept that um, either, either the ball that is played to the, to the man overlapping or the actual cross itself, wherever Dabushi is involved in that move. Anyway, somebody
3: is <laughs> at fault. Sure.
1: But either way, Dabushi is at fault at some point in that move. Um, and then Gibbs doesn't, you know, he doesn't close, he doesn't close the, the shot down appropriately. Um, and then it comes to the Chesney part of the goal. Um, which is definitely up for debate because he's yeah. scrambling across his line um, and it does take a really awkward deflection. But that being said, it still does come to where, you know, Chesney has positioned himself. I just think in that split moment, it's easy for us as fans to look at that and say like a, a De Gea or, you know, a top goalie or a, a Czech or whatever yeah. would probably, would possibly have, have have still been able to have the, the nuance about him. Um to use his feet or to, put, to push it out before allowing it to kind of like plop over, over his head and over the line before he um, tries to claw it back. It, it, it's really difficult just as like, a, you know, as someone who doesn't, you know, doesn't play goalkeeper, doesn't play regularly, doesn't yeah. play in matches regularly. It's really tough to assess from the sidelines. I, I think it's quite an easy stick with which to beat Chesney with. Um, you know, I don't think he had a fantastic game. Obviously, he wasn't tested all that much. I don't think his kicking was great. Uh, but I think, again, part of that comes down to I didn't think Danny Welbeck had a particularly great game, especially in, in his hold-up play. Um, mm. and we saw a big change in that when Giroud came on. Um, so yeah. maybe that's something we'll come on to slightly later. yeah, but, um, yeah I, I don't I, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of on the fence with regards to that, the uh, Chesney's uh, participation in that goal because I do think, he, because of where it comes, because he, he's there... And, you know, the ball's not coming at a significant amount of pace. Um, you know, you, you do think, we're, we're, as the eagle-eyed observer that we are, that it's, uh, it's savable. But I do think in that moment when you're rushing across goal and then the way in which the ball deflects, it does make it that much harder. And it's partly why, you know, the ball just about makes it over the line rather than, um, you know, sort of nestling into the into the back of the net. So...
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I think their goal line technology has screwed up. Did you see the goal line technology shot of it? That thing looks like six feet over the line, but you watch it in live play. I mean, it looks over the line, but the goal line technology makes it look like it's in the back of the net, for God's sake. <laughs> so, but, but I think you're spot on with the Chesney thing. The thing is, I think the last time I played goalkeeper, I was like seven, and it was on tarmac, and there was no diving. Um, but I have watched that goal like probably 25 times and 24 of those were in ultra slow motion. And I think he should have saved it. But when you play it at full speed, I don't know. Uh, uh, and, you know, you got to put a little asterisk against him. I was pretty critical of him on that save. And I made the comment about a De Gea or a Courtois or of a Loris making that save. But, you know, in, in Chesney's defense, that's all very fine and dandy. But he's not, he might be fit, but he's not match fit. He's been on the bench for, like, best part of f- four months. And that's a pure reaction save, and I've been watching it at slow motion. So it felt a little lame, uh, you know, his effort at it. But I think we're all very brave, and you've got to give him the benefit of the doubt to some degree. Um, you know, why was he in that situation scrambling back? And Arson was certainly pretty sympathetic to him afterwards. So, you know, I think it's one of those, especially having one, um, you got to say, well, it's pretty brave demanding a, a reflex, save from a guy who hasn't been on a pitch for the last X number of months. So he didn't do much wrong apart from a, a little extra brilliance there would have gone a long way for us.
1: I mean, so, I think it's somewhat of an easy excuse, though, to say that, you know, from a goalkeeper's point of view, having not played that many matches, that that could have played, you know, a big role in the way. In you know, had he been playing consecutively, would he have maybe made that save otherwise? You know, we talk a lot about a goalie being able to play a full ninety minutes, and for eighty-nine of those minutes to not really be tested, but then to to have the ability about him and the and the concentration to to make that big save when it matters, especially you know. A side like Arsenal is often going to dominate games, but might be susceptible to the odd counter attack, and and thus like the the amount of times that a goalkeeper is brought into action is sort of few and far between. Um, and on the big stage, you you um you know, your your quality is tested based on uh, you know how you perform in w- whatever game situation you're thrown in. So I think I think that kind of argument could be made more so for players that that play out field. Um, just because you're so actively involved in games for the full 90 minutes. Um, but from a goalkeeper's point of view, a lot of that comes down to concentration and a lot of that work does take place on the training ground. So the way in which you implement that in, in, in a game, and especially given the position of Chesney at the club at the moment. Um, but that being said, like I I, I do think there, there are a few too many people that are on on, on either extreme of that argument, there are a lot of people berating Chesney for that, that goal that was conceded, and I'm sure there'd be even more if, if ultimately we had gone on to lose the game. But I don't think it's quite. I don't think it's quite as easy as that.
3: All right, well, piss off then. Anyway, <laughs> moving on onwards. So um, they get their equaliser on the 55th minute. Around 60 minutes, Gabriel comes on for Mertesacker. Um, so now we have two very quick centre backs. Um. Very proactive, very on the front foot, which, to be fair, Mertesacker has been the last few games too. Now, there's a couple of really interesting uh, moments in the second half and maybe in extra time as well, the uh, Pogrebniak moments. He had two of those. One where Kishani screwed it up um, and uh, Pogrebniak's through and Gabriel saves his ass. And then conversely, the same thing happens. I think in added time, Gabrielle screws it up running backwards, almost identical. Uh, Pagrebniak goes forward and Kashelny makes it back, and both recover, both manage the situation really well and recover really well. But those were critical moments that maybe a quicker pass, a better pass, would have had us in real trouble.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was kind of head in pillow for both of those moments, but uh, did manage to um, watch the replays. And I thought the way in which both players recovered for each particular situation was excellent. Um, and a lot of that came down to the kind of pace that they possessed. possess. So you'd imagine that, you know, in a vice versa situation where Kosciani makes a mistake, you'd find it less, you'd, you'd give Mursak a less chance of being able to handle the situation in the way that Gabriel did. Um, yeah, But then again, but, a, you know, part of what led to that was, say, for the, uh, uh, I think it was the, the was it the first one that Gabrielle gave it away. Um, no, the other way around. The first the, one
3: was screwed okay. it up.
1: Well, for the set, well, you know, for, for the second one, then you wonder would would have even um, no made, he wouldn't he probably wouldn't have made the mistake leading to that. So
3: oh, I see what you mean. Sorry, I thought you were going to say was would Sacker have got back? I think what we can say is Mertesacker would not have got back for for his saving ta- tackle.
1: Absolutely, no, I agree with that. But then again, would you know? because of the kind of calmness and composure that Murtzaka has, does he make the mistake leading up to yeah. the second one? But any, anyway, I do think Gabriel had a actually a pretty fantastic game for when he came on. Um, obviously yeah. he had the head of the nilly um, put us uh, ahead within the 90 minutes. Um, Federici made a great save. And in general, he was extremely dominant. He's, a, he's clearly a no-nonsense defender. You, you see him very yeah. frequently just sort of booting it out of play um, whenever there's kind of those 50-50 um, balls to be won. And... Um, and I, you know, I think there's a lot to be said about him. He's still relatively young. Yeah. He's he's got a lot of the attributes you'd want in a centre back, similar to Koscielny. He's, he's very good in the air. Got a lot of pace. He likes to, There was a moment where he intercepted extremely high up the pitch within Reading's um, half to then to quickly start up another a move. So I, th- I think there's a lot of promise there, and I, I really like the way in which he was able to come into a semi final game of you know a game of that magnitude. That's given the context of the match as well at 1-1 and to play as well as he did.
3: Yeah, spot on. So one of the things that struck me yesterday, given the game that was in it, was a couple of years ago, the narrative would have been where shit had set pieces, both taking them and being on the receiving end of them. And yet pretty much all this season, and this was a, a game that really illustrated it. Reading came in to use their, their size, their physicality, their speed, their width to put in a bunch of crosses and to take advantage of maybe corners, set pieces, and, and free kicks. And, and we're, we're as good a team out there for defending against set pieces at the moment, and we do pretty well. You know, we didn't score this time round, from set pieces up the other end. But we looked pretty pretty threatening. There was the free kick from Ozil, and there were a couple of headers that could have, should have. You know, there was Mertesacker. I thought that was that goal in the first, I think, three minutes, the header from... from That I, I was goal. I thought that was in. And I think Mertesacker was sure that was in, too. And Federici saved that one, and he saved the Gabriel one, <clears throat> which, again... A few inches one way or the other and it looked like the gabrielle header was in we're a pretty good set pieces team on the d- defending and the attacking which makes us pretty ro- robust against a team like reading
1: yeah there was also the um i think it was in the second half where cazorla dinked it in from quite a central position and mersaca was yeah. completely free and it hit his back i think um and in yeah. fact there was another one Came off his shoulder. There was another one that Gabrielle had where he was completely free as well after he'd had the header that was saved. Um, and he 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 his yeah. it. So yeah, I mean I think um I think that we're far more dominant from set pieces in both regards. And I think a lot of that comes down to just in general, I feel a lot more comfortable now. Um, certainly when defending set pieces. And it was I think it was even an ongoing joke at the beginning of this season that we couldn't beat the first man. Um, although I do think part of that is was down to that you can see it. It's it's often a tactic that we try and implement, and something mm-hmm. that I think we're just better at in general is to dink it into the near post and have runners that come to the front. That you know that's what uh, took place for the Gabriel header that was saved, for example. Um, and you know set pieces yeah. in general are just quite difficult to implement. But the statistic going yeah. round is something like we we scored the most set pieces of any team in the Premier League, which I doubt any many people would have put money on before the season started.
3: Absolutely not. And, and, you know, I like those statistics that match up with with what you actually see on your eye. And, you know, wh- you mentioned Gabrielle putting it out for a corner or for a throw-in. I mean, that's a pretty safe manoeuvre at the moment. In previous years, we were just going from the frying pan into the fire. Now, clearly what we need to do is add in defending from uh, throw-ins based on their goal yesterday. But generally, we're pretty darn robust on set pieces which is a wonderful thing to say so the game all changed on one substitution when Giroud came on uh the whole way of playing suddenly started to make sense for Arsenal that was my feeling on it what were your thoughts
1: absolutely I mean Obviously you know, we, we tend to take a positive light in the light of a victory, um, but I think the one negative component, especially from an attacking point of view, um, Reading's industry and um, compactness aside, was I really thought Danny had a particularly poor game, um, and a lot of that comes down to the way in which we play now with the, with the pivot uh, up top, it's so integral to have someone who's able to hold up the ball well and, and retain possession and then link up other, other players into play. Um, because although we do like to pass it from the back now and then, we we, we really do like to um, have have that combination of the two, and especially when our spinner plays, we do tend to look search for that as a rude ball. Um, and the one thing you root is so excellent at, and you you really do see it, especially when you go to games and you're there in the flesh. He is his strength is superb, and his ability to hold on to that ball. I I w- mm. I would go so far as to say I don't think there are many players in the world that are as good as he is at it. Um, although I do. Um, you know, I do limit that by saying that I don't tend to watch most strikers in, in world football. But so, yeah. Um, so yeah. No, I. You know, obviously, you know, one of the benefits of Danny is the way in which he, you know, the speed he has, and the way in which he can get behind. But again, I'm a. I'm not sure if if his movement is as good as um, as it could be given that pace. Um, but that you know, it, it's a tough combination to to implement given the setup we have with using that striker as. Um, as the focal point. Um, but a lot of things bounced off Danny, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of times he was losing the aerial jewels and that completely changed once Giroud came on. Um, it was a stark difference. I mean, within 30 seconds of coming on, he'd, he'd, he'd muscled a ready player off phenomenally, and he'd sort of brought the ball down exquisitely before then you know, p- playing it back into the centre of the pitch. And there were a couple of times, and especially you know, it's so important as well when, when we take a lead, and we're looking to relieve pressure by having a lot of players behind the ball and Giroud staying up there and he might have a two ready two opposing defenders challenging the ball for, with him and he often is the one that comes out on top manages to hold on to it for that few seconds and wait for a couple of supporting supporting men um to surround him and and, and retain possession and it it relieves so much pressure for us um and I think it made a big difference as well in the way in which we attacked at one-one um mm-hmm. And also, you know, even on the ground, he's you can see the improvements he's made um, in so many aspects of his game. Technically, um, he, and he's so good at finding those little balls in, in and around the box. Um, I think he was, uh, you know, there was, was that little one-two he played before, uh, uh, with and, and then sort of made that run in for the chance that Özil um, fed him. And I think mm. there was another one where it was Sanchez. There was a little in one touch player that was played around the box, and then Sanchez had quite a, a relatively simple ball. I thought to a play through. Maybe it was what was it back to Giroud who'd ran through, and he just overcooked it slightly. But we looked mm-hmm. at, in general. I thought we just looked a lot more threatening when Giroud was on the field.
3: It was night and day, and uh, it, it, it's tempting to say though. I think we would have struggled against their organization in the first half, regardless. You know, Giroud did come on when the game was get- getting a little bit more stretched, and the legs were getting a little tired. In fact, so much so, he seemed to go full uh, Ronaldo at one stage up in the right corner box. He was doing stepovers, he was doing tricks. Uh, he was having the time of his life. But um, it is tempting to think that maybe the one reason we didn't get them into strangle holes in that first half was, you know, Welbeck isn't Giroud. Um, And the other problem was by the fact that Welbeck was somewhat nullified in the first half. Had we had Giroud on as centre-forward and Welbeck on the right wing, we would have had the Giroud effect, but we would have also had pace and threat in behind. So I think we lost two things by playing Welbeck at at centre-forward. But that's all in hindsight. So um, that took us... Obviously... Major change when Giro comes in, um, confidence level, style of play, everything seems to ramp up a little bit uh, with some really good, uh, apart from a, a couple of brain fart moments, uh, which we pretty much talked about with the our centre backs uh, on the one hand, screwing it up, on the other hand, redeeming themselves. Um, it, it felt like we really had the game there to be won and we went after it. Goes to, goes to added time, one more time. Uh, Walcott comes on at around the, I think it was uh, 10 minutes into added time with about 20 minutes to go. Um, my feeling, obviously I'm a Walcott man. Frustrated he's not getting enough minutes so that he can become as brilliant as he was or starting to be as brilliant as he was when he got injured. He looked pretty dangerous. <clears throat> but probably not in the final part of any move, but he certainly came at it with a lot more pace and livened things up. Um, but it seemed like he never really got into that final position but was itching to. Um, and that was our final substitution at that point, so we are all in at that point. Um, at uh, 103 minutes, I counted, Um <coughs> There's the Ramsey moment where he drives at Federici and Federici has no clue where it is and it pops over the bar and that was the last time he was to be lucky. At 105, uh Sanchez uh, scores pulling in from the, the left wing and we get our nose in front. At that stage, looks like we got the thing wrapped up and we kind of play our way out of there. Um, so it really did seem like it was the, the Giroud move that changed everything else. Everything else seemed to kind of flow from that. Was that your feeling on, on how the game kind of ramped up and, and then played out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the Giroud change made a huge difference. Um, and obviously, that combined with the added energy he was able to bring just from a fitness standpoint, Um, But I think, actually, the Walcott change, although I was a little flabbergasted by it at first, taking off Conkerland, Mm. although at that time we did need the second goal, I was impressed with the way, A, that he carried the ball. Often a criticism I have is a lot of his pace is is often used um, off the ball. The runs that he makes, there's no denying that that, that there's not many better at um, at doing that than he is. Um, But often he can be somewhat lackluster, carrying the ball from deep and actually being able to start counterattacks and and, conti- and continue them on but I thought he was actually excellent at doing that which was important both yeah. from an attacking standpoint but you know more so when we started defending his ability to um to retain possession and, and use Giroud and then um yeah. and then ultimately keep hold of the ball in the final third and you know what? Yeah, I think that,
3: that's a good point. There was a real threat and menace about him with the ball. Uh, that's, that's really what I was trying to get to. Although it wasn't a final end product, it did feel like it was another piece of the energy that pushed them back and kind of gave it, while the game was going to and fro, with Giroud and I thought Walcott. Uh, now, I have to say, when, uh, when we made the substitution, pulled Coquelin off, I was thinking, oh, my God, Monaco part duh.
1: Yes, no, you I, know, I, I, I.
3: Chamberlain comes on, scores the goal, but at the price of taking Cochrane off, and we're just wide open at the back.
1: I was equally fearful, um, but fortunately, without good reason. And one of the um, things I was most impressed with, actually, um, was once we'd taken the lead, the way in which he supported the Bushy on the right. Um, Who, funnily enough, I thought after the you know I was really concerned about his match fitness to be able to play a full one twenty minutes, but I think he actually improved maybe as almost as the game went on. Obviously, he was he was wasn't able to get us forward as much, but maybe also the context of the game suited him slightly more as we had to sit a bit deeper once taking the lead, Um, and of course the aerial presence that he um, has over say someone like Hector. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was really impressed with the way that Walcott was, was tracking back a lot. He was providing a lot of, a lot of support on that right. Um, he was really putting in a strong defensive shift. Um, something about him that we, I certainly tend to criticise quite a lot. And even, you know, even still, I think, I, I, well, I, actually, I, I forget a specific game to refer to, but I've, I've known in the past where even when we've, we've been leading and, and looking to defend the lead. Walcott tends to try and be the player that still remains on the halfway line to almost, you know, sort of secure the game beyond doubt rather mm. than attending to his defensive duties. Um, so I think, you know, maybe there was also clear instruction, on, you know, on, on this occasion from, from Arsene to, to really help out Mathieu. And I think I'd, he did that really Actually,
3: well. it's interesting you say that. Now that you say it, there was a clip of Steve Bolt intensely talking to Walcott. And I was struck on a few occasions how deep Walcott sat while others went forward. So I think you're onto something there.
1: Indeed. They, they do tend to call me Sherlock Holmes um, <laughs> around these parts.
3: <laughs> Surely is what they call you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it was a little bit anticlimactic once we got the goal. I don't know if it was the nature of the goal, but it almost felt like the air went out of, out of the balloon, didn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Reading at that point were just... They were cooked. They were, they were completely exhausted and cooked, so um, they didn't really have much attacking impetus, and really, the, the, the strategy for them at that point was really to try and take it to um, penalties, and you know, most of their chances in general, that anything they were able to fashion out tended to be on the counter-attack. And I think we've become a side that is able to transition quite well. We're a lot more solid in the way in which we're able to play against teams that come at us, and um you, we've clearly worked a lot over the season on the way in which we can then defend leads and and sort of set up in the way in which teams tend to set up against us and the way in which Reading did set up against us um at Wembley so i i you know i in general i think when we do adopt that tactic we tend to be a team that's pretty difficult to break down as it is
3: yeah, I think that's right. I thought Cochlan was great. He had a couple of flubbed moments, which he mostly recovered, but, and a dodgy pass again in midfield, which he recovered or helped recover. But I thought overall he was a huge difference maker, even though for much of the game it felt like it was Ozil, Sanchez, and nine other dudes until Giroud came on. I thought he was the other. Now, when I watched it second time i spent a bit of time watching santi i thought santi was really good doing what he does playing it out from from midfield and up i thought if you get a chance to watch it again unless you caught it first time around i thought santi had a really good quiet kind of ozil like keeping things ticking it over joining the dots i thought santi in particular impressed me that i hadn't noticed clearly the first time round. now that said um, we got our victory. We're off to Wembley. History in the making. Uh, cross our fingers. We're against. We're playing Villa. It'll be another tough game. They're they're actually pretty good against Liverpool. I thought um, deserved the win. The T- Tim Sherwood machine piles forward, um, and uh, uh, you know I, I think glory is tantalizingly close. Two FA Cups in a row, I don't think has been done. Um, so final thoughts before we wrap this puppy in bacon and toss it in the oven?
1: Well, I mean, obviously the most important aspect of the semifinal is getting to the final and, and, and here we are. Um, you know, it, it really gives the season or the end of the season a, a, a distinct purpose because even, God forbid, we don't win the final we' still now got something to look forward to come the thirtieth of May um, so all this you know there's a lot of talk now amongst the fans whether although a second place finish or uh, would be deemed as progress, like what does it matter, which I think is like a ludicrous discussion in itself um, but even that aside, the ability to build up on um, build up further form and and continue playing the way in which we have been over the last sort of eight games or so. And probably over a longer period than that, really, um, we'll all be sort of leading up towards the FA Cup final now, and I think <laughs> I found it uh, highly amusing that uh, Sherwood's Villa were able to put put away Liverpool today, especially given how much bloody talk there's been about you know Steven Gerrard's birthday on the on the final of the FA Cup and how it's written in the stars and has been sort of destined since birth that uh, Stevie G would finish his Liverpool career on uh, on his birthday and, and on such a note. Um, God,
3: that would have been so horrible having to listen to that shite for the next, what, till May 30th? Uh, God, Jesus Christ. And then if it actually came true, oh my God.
1: <laughs> um, but you know, really, especially given the form that um, that they're in, Villa, I'm not actually sure if if there's much, if there was it going go- no, into the agreed. game, there was much to be, there was much difference between the two sides. It's not as if Liverpool have been particularly excellent as we showed at the Emirates. Um, so I think it's going to be a tricky game, you know. I mean Villa, this Villa side are a it team will. with a lot of a lot of confidence. They've got a lot, you know, that kind of setup, as we've talked about, is highly suited to the way that Villa play. They're a very good counter-attacking side. Benteke seems to have re- regained the form that he had from a, you know, a season or so ago. Um, and he's looking ex- high, extremely dangerous, and they've got so much pace in, that, in, in the front three of theirs. Um, and, you know, they've got a defender of the ilk of Ron Vlaar, who was excellent in the World Cup, and they look, they look like quite a solid team now. And I don't think the FA Cup final is going to be easy by any means. It's going to be a really, really tough game, as, as any of these sort of semi-finals and finals tend to be, no matter the opposition. So it's, it's going to be an interesting one. I think we'll have a closer idea of the kind of team that will be available I think a lot of that may be dictated by um, the types of injuries we that we may or may not suffer over the next six Premier League games. But for now, I think the importance will be um, looking ahead to this Chelsea game, seeing if we can maybe um, sort of lift this hoodoo over um, that Mourinho seems to have over Arsenal. And you know, if if we do get the win there, or if we do put in a strong performance and really, you know. And look like we should have should have come out with a victory at the very least. We'll we'll certainly be sending some pretty strong signals going into next season. Um, and I think if we can wrap up the season with an FA Cup, then all said and done, despite the slow the very slow start that we've had, um, we did have in the opening parts of the season. I think it will looking back on it. Um, Assuming, of course, that yeah we are victorious on on the final of the FA Cup, then we'll probably look back at this one as being a, another pretty successful season for us.
3: Sure, sure. Well, speaking of strong strong performances, James, um, thank you very much for talking us through the 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 uh, semi today uh, so eloquently as always. You've got a flight to catch, so let's wrap this puppy in bacon and pop it in the oven. Indeed. Um, it's around now. Elliot would say uh, something, 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 eloquent, something, something, funny, something, something, self-deprecating. So, just take that as read. This is the Arsenal Vision podcast. Thanks everybody for joining us today, and in particular, James, thanks for doing the job of two or three midfielders on our uh, run through today.
1: Thanks, Paul. It's been a pleasure. I'll uh, next time I chat to you, I'll be uh, I'll be back in the UK. So. Um, all the best
3: great thanks james thanks everybody so long